0: I think within faith communities, there has been a tendency to, when it's something we disagree about, we just we just don't talk about it. We focus on the things that unify us and we don't allow for discussion and disagreement. And so I wonder if we have maybe in some ways failed to model for our faith communities how to have that respectful disagreement. How do we find that line where Okay, I have to speak out when this is wrong, but also I don't have to cancel everyone who disagrees with me.
1: The Village Square, a nervy bunch of liberals and conservatives who believe that disagreement and dialogue make for a good conversation, a good country and a good time.
2: At the Village Square, we believe big things can happen when ideas collide inside the bonds of mutual respect.
0: We're building the town hall of the 21st century across the partisan divide.
1: At the Village Square, we talk about politics, religion, and race. You know, the topics your mom taught you never to discuss in polite company.
0: When most separate, We gather across color, creed, and ideology.
3: Listen, at the Village Square, we make pigs fly.
4: Welcome to Village Squarecast. This is Vanessa Rouse. Thank you for joining us for a God Squad episode called Cancel Culture, Minority Opinion, and the Future of Humanity. What a timely and important topic. This God Squad program is part of our current season called A Citizen's Guide to Saving America, and it took place recently over Zoom. This program includes a panel of five who will introduce themselves in just a minute. Four of them are faith leaders whose voices you may recognize from past God Squad programs. And the fifth, Jack Denton, is our special guest today, and he's going to share with you his experience recently of being canceled. Today's facilitator is Father Tim Holida of Saint Thomas More Co. Cathedral. So let's turn it over to Father Tim to start the program.
5: Okay, here we go. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Thanks for joining us as we talk about uh, cancel culture. I think this is a very important topic, and we are going to have a great uh, panel. I'm allow them to introduce themselves first, and then we'll kind of jump right into it. See who's going to be first. Okay, Jack. I see Jack Denton. So Jack Denton was actually a parishioner of mine at the Co-Cathedral while he attended Florida State University, and some of you may know who he is. He was uh, in the news uh, quite a bit back in the summer, not in a positive way, I would say. Um, but I got to know him as when he was a student here. And uh, Jack, just to say a little bit about yourself, not your story, just now, but just introduce yourself, what you're doing now and how old you are and so on.
2: Hey, y'all. Thanks so much for having me on the God Squad this morning. Uh, My name is Jack Denton. I'm a recent graduate of Florida State University, uh, where I studied political science and minored in business and religion. I uh, currently live and work in Raleigh, North Carolina, but I'm really excited to be here today to discuss this very important topic uh, facing our culture, our country and the world over. So thanks so much for having me.
5: And we also have with us, I think his first God Squad since he slipped away into retirement is Rabbi Jack Romberg. Uh,
3: Rabbi Jack Romberg, retired in uh, June of 2019 from uh, Temple Israel and busy with all kinds of things going on right now, but uh, was, was happy that Liz invited me to come back and be a guest uh, member. And good to see you again, Tim. Great to see you. All right. Trinity Whitley, please introduce yourself.
0: Uh, Thanks, Father Tim. Yes, I'm Trinity Whitley. I am the associate pastor at Faith Presbyterian Church here in Tallahassee, and this is my second God Squad, so glad to be back with you all for this conversation.
5: Awesome. Welcome. Joseph, Joe, good to see you again. Welcome back.
1: Yes, sir. Thank you, Father Tim. Glad to be aboard um, as a part of the God Squad panel, and a very worthwhile topic, council culture. Ready to to hear the different perspectives and learn so much from everyone today. All
5: right. Great. I wanted to say one thing real quick. Uh, some of you may remember Fran Bueller who passed away. So we want to uh, remember him as well. And, and um, he was, I think, one of the, one of the originals on God Squad. Is that right, Rabbi?
3: Yes. Fran was one of our originals and quite an exceptional person when we met just you know, as this uh, was starting up way back, and I think it was 2010 or 11, uh, we became very good friends, and and he just a wonderful person.
1: Great.
5: So I think, uh, I just want to jump right into it, if that's okay. So cancel culture, I think, when we think of cancel culture, I think of this sort of uh, mob sort of mentality of, of silencing opinions, of, of ostracizing people, of be fired and, and making someone basically a pariah of society and, and off strangely couldn't happen 20 years ago, 10 years ago, very long time ago can creep up now, um, through social media or someone's yearbook or something like that. And all of a sudden, uh, the cancel culture that they become canceled is the possibility. And it's a good topic for us because what we're doing here and what Liz has been trying to do at the village square, and what we're trying to do here is is very different. I think approach which is to try to dialogue and to try to understand one another and to try to talk to one another. So to sort of begin, just as a, as a real case example is my friend here, Jack, Jack Denton, would you, would you kind of just tell us briefly in your words, kind of what, what happened and how you experienced, he was canceled back in the summer. If y'all don't know, he'll tell you a little bit about that.
2: Thanks father, Tim. Again, I'm really glad to be here this morning. So uh, during my time at Florida state university, I faithfully served in student government for over three years, acting as the voice for the student body, in various positions of leadership, most recently as the president of our Student Senate. I'm also a devout Catholic, and as Father Tim a parishioner, I was a parishioner at the Coe Cathedral in Tallahassee. I was a member, an active member of the Catholic Student Union, or CSU. Uh, CSU had a group chat at the time where active members were part of it, and they could send prayer requests, offer messages of encouragement, and just generally keep up with the community events happening, just keep in touch with each other. Uh, However, uh, one day last summer, when someone in the group chat sent a message asking us to financially support causes that were contrary to our Catholic faith, I felt the need to point out the discrepancy, and so I did. Uh, And without my permission, someone in the group chat took screenshots of the messages I sent and sent them to members of the student senate. Later that same evening, we had a senate meeting, and about an hour into the meeting, completely out of the blue, a senator made a motion to take a vote of no confidence in me. And during her argument in favor of my removal, she shared these uh, screenshots of my messages with members of the Senate and used them to argue that my faith was abhorrent and that it disqualified me from serving as president of the student Senate because I couldn't fully represent all students on campus anymore. So that night, uh, they failed to to meet the two thirds threshold required to, to remove the sitting Senate president However, over the course of the next two days, they, these senators started a massive online campaign uh, calling for my removal in which they started a petition online through change.org. They, they harassed me online. They even went so far as to take the names down of the senators who voted against removing me that uh, Wednesday evening and shared them online and called on other students to harass them to get them to change their vote. So two days later, uh, Friday evening, we held an emergency meeting of the student senate to solely to discuss my removal. And after seven hours of student comments, in which over a hundred students spoke, the majority of which in favor of my removal, the Senate took another vote of no confidence in me. And this time they flipped nearly every vote from just two nights prior that was against removing me. And this in that evening, I was removed. Uh, with only three senators voting against my removal, me being one of them. So that is, uh, that is in short, what happened to me last summer, my experience of, quote-unquote, being canceled. But I'm, I'm glad to discuss any more of that in, in more detail. I'm glad, I'm excited to jump into this conversation.
5: Jack, when you were having the seven-hour-long uh, marathon of a student Senate meeting, what was the kind of, uh, <laughs> were they really friendly people coming and, and stating their opinion? I mean, what was the sort of attitude towards you? How did it make you feel? Basically, What was your experience of
1: that?
2: Well, uh, I wish I could say that it was cordial. Unfortunately, for the most part, it, it wasn't. A lot of people uh, were, it was a very emotional meeting. A lot of, you know, emotions were running high and a lot of people were very upset, you know, calling me every name in the book, you know, cursing, swearing. It wasn't it, it wasn't a fruitful conversation. I would say it, it, it just uh, really turned into something really nasty, and it was unfortunate. It, it it wasn't a pleasant experience for for me to sit through. I can say that much. But I, I will say that there that there were a number of people who were who were respectful and were able to able to have a discussion, and they were able to respectfully. Uh, offer their point of view. And I really appreciated that. And I wish I could say that was that was the most part uh, of the people there. But unfortunately, they were the exception. Most people were not as as friendly.
5: Okay.
2: Thank you for sharing that. I remember when that happened, and I remember from
5: my friends in the ministry who were watching it telling me that you basically sat there too. And just sort of, as your role is presiding over the meeting, you had to, you didn't really argue or talk. You just kind of let them, next student would come and take shots. And then you'd say next student and Just one after another. It's pretty amazing for seven hours to keep your cool during all that. I don't think I I didn't even watch it, to be honest, because I think I would have been upset just knowing you, seeing people treat you like that. So I want to just start. So that's an example of of cancel culture. I I won't say much more, but I think I understand that there was even more pushes beyond that to have you removed from certain jobs and, and things like that. And not that that got anywhere, but there was still others. So this is sort of an example of when someone states their opinion, states their beliefs. And if it runs counter to a group, and it can be conservative, uh, it can be liberal. This isn't, I think this is a cultural thing that we're dealing with. And I don't think it's can be isolated to just one particular side. I think any group that can find itself in power can quickly become, you know, finding social media presence is a power now and being able to to grab people. And we saw what happened on January sixth. This is not just a conservative or a liberal thing. So I want to offer just kind of, Initial thoughts. I mean, what what are your thoughts about this? What, where does this come from? What do we do about this? Is this helpful? Is this appropriate in our culture? Is this going? Is this moving us forward? This sort of reaction when we disagree with somebody.
3: Can I start? Absolutely. Okay. So this is not something that has just developed recently. The the recent development is only because of uh, now the presence, the the huge presence. Of, of virtual media and virtual communication. But the history of, of this is very long. And let me just, just give a few insights because I'm somebody who's lived long enough to actually have seen how some of this is, has developed. If you go back into the 1980s, you had Ronald Reagan as a conservative president and you had Tip O'Neill as a very liberal uh, house Speaker, and they would actually get together and have uh, lunch together to try and and work things out. That attitude of trying to work from opposite sides uh, really started to fall apart as we head into the '90s, and uh, part of that was the attitude of of frankly of, of of Newt Gingrich. He he started to push things in a different direction. So that's one. Piece that started to push people apart. And if you look at data from the 80s, something like 80% of this, of the Congress was in favor of negotiating and and doing and doing compromises to get things done. Whereas now only 20% of the Congress is, is looking at that. So that was a contribution. Now, the other night, actually, we were watching a TV show where we got another insight. And my wife and I turned to each other and we said, "Wow, that's absolutely correct." And part of the problem are generation members of, of of me who were parents who did a lousy job of parenting their kids and raising them to have a whole different attitude than than we had, and the attitude was one of respect. the The problem was we noticed. We were very strict with our kids in raising them. And we noticed a lot of people were not strict with their kids in raising them and allowed things to happen that were not right. So as you had more and more people get into the nineties and into the early two thousands, you had a, a, a big growth of the improper interaction happening in universities all over the country. And that was written about already in the 1990s about how views by certain people were not respected. Now I could go into a lot more, but I think that I should turn uh, over to Trinity and to uh, Pastor Joseph and and let them give some thoughts. And then actually in a little while, I wanna give another example of something that I read about just yesterday in terms of another cancel culture. Trinity.
0: So uh, I totally agree with uh, what Jack is saying about the parental aspect of training it. And when I started to think about this, I also thought about as faith leaders, what we maybe have or haven't done within our congregations. So I definitely think this is an issue. And I think uh, part of it for me is personally, when I think about our congregation, I think we have striven so much for um, this idea of unity that we maybe don't allow for time and opportunity for disagreement or for discussion around disagreement. So like the whole reason I kind of understand the existence of the village square and the God squad, I think within faith communities, there has been a tendency to, when it's something we disagree about, we we just don't talk about it. We focus on the things that unify us and we don't Allow for discussion and disagreement. And so I wonder if we have maybe in some ways failed to model for our faith communities how to have that respectful disagreement. How do we find that line where, okay, I have to speak out when this is wrong, but also I don't have to cancel everyone who disagrees with me? And so I think that's kind of been where I'm wrestling with this because I think if we can better model that within our communities of faith, then there is a lot more opportunity for us to take that out into the public square. But I think right now, there have just been this tendency of, you know, um, I don't know if y'all hear this within your faith communities, but the language that is often used is, well, we don't want politics in the pulpit. Right. And so I, I can hear that and I can understand that. I even saw some of that in the the chat, Jack, when you brought up your disagreement uh, back last June, there was some let's keep politics out of this. and and we have to find that balance, right? Because we have to be able to have these conversations that foster respect for one another, that foster lifting up these ideals of valuing each other's voices while still being able to speak out against what's wrong. There has to be a balance. And it's like we've gone, Um, kind of pendulum slung the other way. When we think something is wrong, we just completely cancel it out rather than having the discussion and saying, okay, here's the issue with what you've said, but we can pull out things that can bring us forward and can make us move in the right direction.
1: Pastor Joe? Thank you. I'm very interested in this council culture uh, movement because I'll I'll flat out say this, I'm not totally against council culture. So let me say that. I've seen some good come out of council culture. What happens many times is how it is applied. Are we going too far in certain circumstances? Are we um, going to get somebody's First Amendment right, which we know is one of the main attributes or components of this, what's happening with council culture? So I'll just jump out and say, I'm not totally against it, all right? Just to be clear. Um, but I think there are times that, things go too far, things go too far. And we get, sometimes the mob mentality gets involved and they get loud and noisy and money gets involved. Big companies get involved and then things change. And sometimes it's not really the best practice for our citizenship or our community. So that's number one. Um, But I think one of the things, as I believe Rabbi Jack has said and also Trinity spoke of, It's this thing about respect um, that's really going on and learning how to respect different opinions. One of the things I'm finding out that is changing, that is really funneling this cancel culture movement, in my opinion, in the wrong direction, is there's a new definition of hate. There's a new definition of hate. And that definition of hate is getting so broad that it basically says, if I disagree with your personal beliefs, then you hate me. And there's no possible way that you could represent me, speak on my behalf, look out for my common good as a human because you disagree with my personal beliefs. And I think that is the dangerous crossroad that is happening with this definition of hate. I sat on a panel where somebody who was different than me in sexual orientation told me that I was unable to love them because I differed in perspective on sexual orientation. And because I differed in perspective, then automatically I hated them and was unable to treat them properly with love, kindness, and respect as a human. That's dangerous. And so I think the inability to hear people and respect people because of the difference is our problem. And I think this is really what what makes council culture very terrible and very dangerous. Now, again, I've seen some people I think were way off, dangerous to society. And the same council culture counseled some things, muted their voice, hushed their influence. And for me, I thought it was a good thing because the, the direction that person was going, I didn't think was good for the common good of everybody. So this is a very dicey subject. We're being nice today, but let's get with it. (laughs) So what
3: I what I'd like to do is kind of take what Pastor Joseph said, part of what he said, and add on to it from my perspective as as a Jewish rabbi. And there's a lot that you said, Pastor Joseph, that I completely agree with, especially the piece that there are aspects of this cancel culture that I don't disagree with. And I'm gonna read an example of something that I learned yesterday. I don't know how many of you know who Gina Carano is. She plays a key part or played a key part in the story of Mandalorian that's on Disney, but she has been fired. And here is why. She put on Instagram the following. Jews were beaten in the streets, not by Nazi soldiers, but by their neighbors even by children, because history is edited. Most people don't realize that to get to the point where Nazi soldiers could easily round up thousands of Jews, the government first made their own neighbors hate them for simply being Jews. Now, that is not a bad piece just by itself, even though it's not completely true at all. But here is the part that was bad. How is this any different from hating someone for their political views? How in the world can you compare the anti-Semitism of the Nazi uh, regime to uh, disagreeing over, over political views? Further, there's a lot that's been happening in the last number of years, I would say the last 10 to 15 years, that has made... People react uh, more vigorously, and especially on virtual things. And the issues are reacting to racism, reacting to anti-Semitism, and uh, it's it's not unnatural for those of us who are of minorities to feel something awful when it happens that that there is something coming out uh, that that is a criticism. Of, of Jews, you know, something being anti-Semite, or of African Americans in, in a racist way. It is just wrong. So the reaction a lot of times on virtual media is, is to those issues. Now, are there overreactions? Are there times when people are condemned in a way that is inappropriate because all that was read was on something that was a social media. And so you didn't really maybe fully understand what the person was saying. Yes, there are absolutely incidents in which there was overreaction, but you cannot deny that there are incidents of racism and incidents of anti-Semitism that pushes people into reactions. And that is, I think something we have to keep in mind as this goes on, one last piece, one last piece. About 15 years or so ago, I started to get very upset when I saw the the initiation of some new media places in the virtual world, places like Breitbart. Breitbart started as a very racist, anti-Semitic place. Now, they've, they've adjusted a little bit in the last 15 years, but their beginning was terrible was terrible it was it was you know very bigoted so we, we have to deal with this and i think the way that uh, that what trinity is saying what joseph what pastor joseph is saying is right we have to find a way within our religious aspects to find a respectful way to have the conversations and part of having the conversations is understanding the feelings of each other as things come up. Thank you, Jack. I want to
5: just kind of throw out there, I mean, the, the principles that someone like Socrates would hold would be, and not that we're all following him totally, but that this idea, though, that, that we shouldn't be afraid of opinions, we shouldn't be afraid of beliefs, but we should we should talk about them, we should examine them, and we should put them to the test. And all of us probably are in need. Would be, it would be helpful to have a Socrates walk around the day, putting our beliefs and our assumptions to the test and exposing them for us? And so, something I I think it kind of bothers me about cancel culture is, and I think it's it kind of goes back to this. If you've ever, if anyone's ever seen *Man for All Seasons*, and there's a great dialogue in the movie where Thomas More, Saint Thomas More, is is I forget, I think it's his son-in-law, are debating about. Whether you would give the devil his due in a court of law, and Thomas More says absolutely I would, because if you don't give him protection of the law, where will you, where will you be when the laws come after you, or when someone comes after you? You need the law to protect you as well. And why I bring that up is just simply, I am not afraid of erroneous opinions. Um, I'm not afraid of of disbelief. In fact, so I see as a priest, my job as a priest is to try to persuade people. To what is right? If there's somebody I encountered who was a racist, I don't think it's helpful to him. I'm worried about that man's soul or that woman's soul. I don't want to just silence them and put a muzzle on them and and exile them, but I want to show them that they're wrong and, and and help them come to a different understanding. And that's where I would I struggle with cancel cultures. I think that we, in the interest of of trying to, we want a better society. We don't want anti semitism. We don't want racism. We don't want these things. In our society, but in the interest of that, in my opinion, it seems to me that it's starting to breed uh, more resentful, rebellious, underground movements that probably were not even present before because we're not allowing this to be aired out. It's now becoming like secretive or, or silence and underground. Whereas now, you know, we need to no, we need to have these discussions. And we need to argue and not be afraid of error. At least that's my sort of belief, and that's that's something, an element. Of, of this cancel culture that I have a real hard time with is I feel like now it's being expanded as I think Pastor Joe mentioned beyond you know race it's the level of hate now is being expanded that your political beliefs could be included in that and I think that's for Jack if I'm right Rabbi Jack is, is kind of pointing out that this this person on Instagram I wasn't aware of this was was linking these things and it might be a warrant to compare the Holocaust or anti-Semitism to political beliefs but it's starting to seem to some that that even our political beliefs are getting put into this category of hate. What are you, What are your all thoughts on how we can what we can do? I know Trinity mentioned as faith leaders to model this. What, what can we do concretely in our churches and our own personal lives to sort of do something different uh, than this approach of just silencing others?
1: Yeah, uh, Father Tim, I, I said a part of it, but I think we have to become better listeners. We are great reactors. Of course, I use the Bible here. Jesus is sold by Judas to be taken, and the high priest comes to take Jesus. And Peter, the disciple with Jesus, says basically, "This is not going to happen." And Peter cuts off the soldier's ear. Very popular story, Uh calling his ear, and Jesus—he was the man who put the ear back on. And that's that's enough by itself um, to believe that he was the Savior. But <laughs> that he put the ear back on, man. But I think that is symbolic, because Peter comes back and also teaches us to honor, listen to authority later on at St. Peter. So, I believe the lesson is, using the ear, is we need the ear. We need to listen to each other. Jesus puts that ear back on that soldier's head. (laughs) I'm using it symbolically that I just think through our passions, through our prerogative, and many times people are just representing a company, representing a politic, uh, a propaganda. They're really not interested in the main thing that we really want to talk about, which is unity and respect and love. Uh, they're really interested in only their agenda and forget everyone else's agenda. And when that happens, we're not listening. And I think listening is what we must demand within our conversation. And no, I need you to listen here, listen, and we need to slow down to feel each other. And I believe. Uh, Rabbi Jack maybe was using feelings. We're talking about our feelings to so see what someone else is feeling, why they're feeling that way and be uh, human. And I think that's one of the things that I love about God Spot, Even though we're talking about faith and politics, we try to bring the human aspects to this that we're not talking to robots. Nobody is going to listen to our 30 minute podcast and unravel all their life experiences. We need to take time with each other, respect each other. And I'm just an advocate that we need to listen, even when we disagree.
0: And so my number one was definitely my number two was diverse relationships. So I think that we not only have to work on that listening to one another, but I think we have to encourage and model listening to voices different than our own, having relationships with people who are different than us. You know, it's easy to to pick issues like racism. So, you know, if, if racism is the issue that you're focusing on, then you need to surround yourself with people who are from different cultural racial experiences. And so I think that's the beauty of this relationship, right, is that we can have relationship and dialogue and disagree with one another and still come away walk away from that in relationship. So I think we have to listen to one another, but I think we also have to foster relationships with different voices, with people who are different than us. And I think we have to start that in our faith community. I think that's why things like interfaith dialogue are so important, because I think if we can do it with respect to religious thought, it makes it a lot easier for our people to then transfer that to things like political thought
3: let me add some perspectives, uh, some actual very specific religious teachings that I think can guide us in the right way. Okay. So I'll take the first one. uh, Well, basically it's three moral principles that come from religious background. And while I put these in a Jewish perspective, a lot of this comes directly also from the part of the Bible that, that, all Jews and Christians would be reading. So number one is accepting people that are different, that are alien, that are strangers. And by the way, that appears in the Torah 36 times to accept people who are different from you. And I could give you different quotes right out of the first five books of the Bible that it, that specify you have to accept people who are different and treat them the same way, basically, that you treat people that are like you. Number two, and I think this is something we forget about, but it's very important. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, it teaches us that we cannot accept the existence of poverty. Even though we can never eliminate it completely, we have to provide for the poor what they need to raise themselves up. Now, it doesn't give a specific program that you have to support. In other words, you don't. it's not saying that you have to pass this from the government or do this as charity. It says your attitude has to be, and this is in, again, Deuteronomy chapter 15, your attitude has to be you, you cannot accept poverty. The third piece is actually from the Talmud, and that is and I quote this piece from the Talmud, the words that are spoken from either side are the words from God. But why are certain words accepted more than others? The quote, the one who humbles themselves is exalted by the Holy One. The one who exalts himself is humbled by the Holy One. In other words, if you take an open-minded approach to listen before you you go against, then you're better accepted. So those are three key moral principles from religious background that if we follow, we will get along better. Thank you, Jack.
5: Jack then you wanna say something?
2: Yeah, I wanted to actually bounce off of something that Trinity just uh, just mentioned. I think we're kind of told in society, well, we are told in society today, to avoid discussing politics and religion with others. Uh, whether that's, you know, at Thanksgiving when you see extended family or, you know, when you're, you're, you're in a classroom or at work or out after work getting drinks with your friends, just don't discuss religion and politics. So those are the two subjects you shouldn't bring up. And, and so to your point, Trinity, I, I think that's wrong. I think we need to be willing to engage in difficult conversations. These are two of the most important subjects th- that we need to be well-versed in. People, people need to understand what is politically happening today in society because it affects every aspect of our lives. And religion, it, it, it's, it's a central aspect to all of our lives here, right? So I think it's something that we need to be more willing to engage in with others and, and, and to be able to listen, as what you were saying, Pastor Joseph, being willing to listen to others who disagree with you or, or have different perspectives. And to answer your, the question you initially posed, Father Tim, about how clergy can go about it, I think from a, from a Christian perspective specifically, and I'm going to quote the, uh, the gospel according to Matthew here. Matthew writes: If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have won over your brother. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, so that every fact may be established on the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to them, tell the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, then treat him as you would a gentile or a tax collector. And I think that's that's an excellent way that uh, the clergy and just. all all people can can treat this subject. You know, if someone says something that that might be offensive or or you don't agree with, or you think it's just flat out wrong, discuss it with them. Again, to your point, Pastor Joseph, discuss it with them, bring it up and talk to them about it. And, and if you still don't agree or if if the conversation doesn't work out, then then go and and open the conversation up to a, to a small group of friends invite them to invite them to, to get coffee or something. You know, I, I mean, it's all about engaging in dialogue. And, and having these difficult conversations because when you don't have them, that's when problems arise.
5: Thank you. Yeah. I, you know, I want to turn to some, we do have some questions from the audience, you know, something that this, this is a strange thing that's going on with our work and our beliefs that I don't remember being an issue not too long ago. And, and to one of your points, Jack Denton is That we need to, in listening to others, you find out when you go to them and talk to them, it's interesting the gospel you quoted kind of ended with some cancel culture. (laughs) Treat them as a Gentile or a tax collector, it says, right? But by listening to him or listening to her, you have an opportunity to see that this is a human being in front of you. And I know Jack, and so when I heard, you know, I guarantee you I don't agree with everything he says and everything he believes. We've had some interesting discussions on church things within the Catholic Church and liturgy and things like that but i know him to be a good man i know him to be a caring person and, and so on and so when i think part of the difficulties with this this caricature that can be created by these people who just become this is the guy who did something that we we consider racist today or sexist today or demeaning today but this person has a family sometimes a job a livelihood bills to pay and when we when we cancel them so to speak this can really ruin their livelihood over perhaps a mistake or something. And if we think that just simply holding them accountable and say, Hey, we don't, we don't support this sort of talk. We don't support this sort of attitude. Often they apologize and they still lose their contract or their jobs or, you know, um, whatever the case, I think it's a strange thing that suddenly, but this, this one, the Mandalorian, I mean, I don't endorse when I, I haven't watched the Mandalorian yet, but if I did, I'm not endorsing by any means, anybody's views or beliefs or thoughts or religion or anything. I'm trying to watch a show, Right. What I should be more concerned with is the content of the show, and not with individual actors or the guy filming or the director or anything, what he seems to think. So it's kind of a strange thing that's that's occurred now, and that now by even watching a show or by participating in their business or something, you're somehow endorsing, which has made the businesses afraid, and they're quick to remove somebody and quick to fire them for the sake of their own profits and fear of losing their customer base. Let me just I'll bring this question up that was asked. So where is the line? I think it's I'm picking up here with everybody is that we do agree that there needs to be some sort of accountability. We're not just totally, I mean, i may be the most laissez-faire position I've said so far, but where is the line? There there should be a line, I think. Where where would you all say is the line between holding someone accountable for what they say and instead claiming it is cancel culture? What about instances of hate speech, sexist, demeaning comments?
3: It's hard to set up a line when everything is going on on virtual media if you really want to understand what somebody's saying, you need to actually talk to them. And uh, it's too easy to make mistakes when you're typing things. I make mistakes typing things all the time. So it makes more sense uh, not to, I mean, you can you can certainly disagree with what somebody says on media, but you need to not go on, onto an attack. I, I've seen that way too many times, for example, on Facebook, where somebody puts an opinion and the nastiness of the disagreement uh, gets to be, you know, gets to be ridiculous. We, we have not yet learned how to handle social media, uh, uh, you know, and do things virtually. We're in the process of learning. Just like when I was a little kid, we were, you know, I was the first generation, a part of the first generation. I was watching TV all the time. We had to learn how to adjust to it. You know, we always have to learn how to adjust to changes in technology. Uh, but unfortunately this change in technology is causing a lot of of uh, hurting I will add one last piece if you are putting something on social media or virtually that you would be afraid to say personally to a person don't do it you should never put up anything that you're afraid to say like if if there's probably things that Jack Denton and I would disagree on. So if I were to meet him, we should be willing to say whatever we feel is important to each other, even disagreements. But if we're afraid to say it, we should never post it on Twitter or social media or whatever. We should only be saying what we're not afraid to say if we're with each other.
1: You know, Rabbi Jack, I think that's also why I like it. I think that's still part of the problem because the culture has a great majority of people who are not afraid. And so fear has been removed. They're not afraid. There is a angst, a anger that says, we are tired of being silent. We're tired of being oppressed. We're tired of being taken disadvantage of, disenfranchised. And so it's not about While we do have people who say anything on social media, oh, I get in your face, that's me. And I'll tell you the same thing with the same. And so I don't think that's enough. I agree with it, but I don't think it's enough. I I think we also need to call for intelligence and respect again, because in these circles of forums, we say we can't talk about religion and politics. Well, the problem is we're not requiring skill. We're not requiring thoughtfulness. So, yeah, if you can't talk about religion and politics skillfully, yeah, be quiet. Yeah, we do need you to be quiet. No, we actually need you to hush. We need somebody who's respectful, has perspective. See, passion is not good enough, right? So we got a lot of folks um, who are just passionate. They're just passionate about what they believe in. And I think we have to actually ask for more. No, 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 you're passionate, but are you intelligent? Can you speak a little bit about the the Holocaust? Can you talk about... Not just African Americans who've been disenfranchised, but what about other people who have been taken advantage of? I think we need to require more of people than just to speak, right because we have people who just going to speak and, and they refuse to be silent and they're passionate. and I'm saying passion is not good enough anymore. We got to be heartfelt, we got to be sincere. sometimes we have to be quiet because we don't know enough on a subject. And so I don't think just telling people don't be afraid is just good enough. People are no longer afraid. I think we need to tell people, I need you to come more to the table. I need you to be more thoughtful. I need to actually provoke you to more thought and require that of people. So, yes, let's talk about religion and politics, but let's be thoughtful. Let's be respectful. Let's do some research before we talk. And and I think that will give the conversation more credence. And so those are the things I've learned to do while I'm talking to somebody. I've been challenged on certain things, and I've said, I have to admit, I don't know enough about that topic. And what did that do? That made me respect their opinion and their perspective, not necessarily agree, but respect enough to pause. And I think those type of challenges, when we want to have tough conversations, we need to make people come to the table being a little more thoughtful. So passion is no longer good enough and avoiding things because you can't talk clearly, I think is great. If you can't talk clearly and respectful, um, I think you shouldn't talk about religion and politics.
3: I think one of the good things about Faith, Food, and Friday organizations situations is that what Pastor Joseph said is actually a hundred percent correct to add on to what I said. And and when you start to put the thoughts together, I think you come to a a much better understanding of where you should be heading.
0: And Father Tim, the one thing I kind of hear in the question, too, is we also can err maybe on the other side of things. I think I struggle sometimes. I I would not lean towards cancel culture, even though I fully agree with Pastor Joe that there are times when it is needed, when there are things that are hateful and wrong, and they should not be going on, and we should cancel them out. And so there are benefits to it. But I think I often err on the side of, you know, wanting everybody's voice to be heard. And then I am complicit. And I, you know, and so I think that's the struggle. Some of the tension that I wrestle with is, right? Like, do I, do I think cancel culture should not exist at all? Well, maybe, yeah. Cancel culture as we're seeing it in our world today, yes. But I also think there is this space where as a people of faith, we do have to. And I heard it in, in Father Tim when you were saying, you know, I want us to have that conversation so I can help you understand how you're wrong. I think sometimes we aren't taking it that far. I think we have erred and not taking it to the point of I'm going to help you see, you know, I'm I'm going to voice that disagreement. And I even heard Jack Denton say, you know, there were people who disagreed with him but who did it in a way that it wasn't they were attacking him they were just saying you know they were respectful but they were saying here are the issues I have and if that had been the conversation it would have been a much different experience for him. Um, and so I think that's part of the struggle I think with where is this line and I agree with Rabbi Jack but I'm not sure we can totally put up a line but for me sometimes the struggle is I maybe er too much on the side of allowing for everybody's voices to heard that I then become complicit.
5: That's a great point. I, I think I think what, where I come from with this is sort of when I echoed the St. Thomas More thing from Man for All Seasons is I, I see this as a as power. It is. In some ways. Um, and then we don't have we don't have a collective set of values written down anywhere that we adhere to. They, they're they changing. It's a moving. It's a moving target. And so we, we have to be careful because at the moment it's, it's hard for I mean, I, I was reading something recently where this basically a conservative person was like we need to remove change the name of this airport because of this person's past or something i thought well this is canceled And this is the same people i'm sure who are angry about so i mean what i mean is right now there's this current group or current way of thinking that seems to have the sway on social media and so on when we try to use empathy or put things in the other side what, what happens when power shifts what happens when you know, you, you have a, when we don't have a set of values or something that we can cling to, what, what can we cling to as a set of values? And for me, I think a starting point, I think most people I hope can get on board with is because I'm a Christian and I believe that God became a man and a baby, that human life is sacred and every human life, in my opinion, or my belief, and I believe is the truth, every human being, whether they disagree with me or not, even when they're racist, even when they're criminals has value. And I think we start with that, idea, then that changes how we approach one another and how we, and I think obviously if you have that belief, then you wouldn't be a racist either, right? Or a sexist or any of those things. If you understand that God became a human being as a Christian, at least, and you believe then that, that human beings are sacred, that the other religions can't arrive at that same principle, but that could be, I think, a great starting point for how we enter into dialogue is that this person in front of me is a human being and has a, a value that's worth more than the universe. And that's how I'm going to approach them. Um and how I'm going to treat them?
0: Can I just I want to throw one more thing, <laughs> <laughs> please, please,
5: because
0: yes, but I'm going to say for me it's the image of God, right? Because if I'm I'm going back to the Genesis creation narrative and I'm saying that humanity was created in the image of God, then I have to respect the image of God in each person, mm-hmm. right? And and would I would I want God to experience? That hatred, you know, um, so for me, yes, I agree with you, Father Tim, but it, it would be for me like I, there's even it's it's even a higher call for me because I feel like that image of God is represented in each one of us. Mm-hmm. And so
1: how dare we disrespect?
5: Mm-hmm. Let's do one more question. Here. I think we have a little bit more time.
1: Yeah, I see some very interesting questions in there. OK, Please.
5: yeah. So Someone texted me a couple of them here. I'll, I'll read both these questions and let anyone just kind of take it however you want. Let you jump in. What do you say to the point that what you call cancel culture is vital and important and a a vital and important check on power? For example, union strikes, boycotts, et cetera. And another question: how can dialogue occur on really difficult, controversial topics like whether to keep or remove historic monuments?
1: Yeah. I, I, I wanted to talk about a little bit about that because I think these are still very worthwhile cancel culture movements. One of the things that's still happening in America of that we can't ignore is righting the wrongs. And there are some things that people feel have been overlooked. And there are some people who have been given esteem and power and names on buildings, monuments, and statues that we only looked at a portion of their life that we want to highlight, but we miss the ideals that govern their life. And so people are what happening now. So there's a statue that been at a specific place for years, and everybody saying this statue ain't bothering no one. Why are we bothering the statue? Well, uh, have we overlooked during a time where it was okay to overlook other aspects of people's personhood that we allowed a statue to get at a building? Is it okay today? Does that represent? who we are today and what we want to say to people. Does that monument communicate the ideas that we still hold? So there's some some writing of the wrongs that are still happening. And again, there is a a strong notion that silence is not okay anymore. So there are these old things being brought forward and council culture is a part of that, All right? And so again, I'm totally, like I said, not against guest culture, not for it. I look at it on each individual case that is going on. And so it it is tough to hold people accountable. But I want to give credence at least to the institutions, organizations who are taking a look back at decisions made some years ago and saying, hey, guys, does that communicate who we are today? And I want to give some credence to that look. You know, even the look to do so, to say, what do we need to be saying here that's more sensitive or more respectful to today? And I just think a lot of things were ignored back then. And people got notoriety for certain things that they did, their monetary contribution, the fact they were millionaires and billionaires and able to build certain things. They got their name on the building and people just put up with other aspects of their life. So I think there is a tough conversation about accountability. And how we really go about it. So no easy solution, but I'm all for conversation. I see Trinity nodding her head. Can't wait till she talks.
0: Well, and I just wanted to agree with that. The part you said earlier, Pastor Joe, about like we need to know our history. So like you need to know about the Holocaust. There is one thing for us to know about the history, but there is another thing uh, another thing for us to memorialize it in a way that makes it lift up and yeah. sound like it's okay. And so for me, you know as a person of faith that I want to question, um, am I making that an idol? You know, like, really, if if this monument is so important, I have to question that. So yeah, I would agree with you that that part of cancel culture for me is good and important. And then man, we could have a whole nother dialogue because I felt like Rabbi Jack brought up when he was talking about our attitude that we can't accept the poor. Oh, goodness. That question about the uh, like boycotts and labor unions and that sort of thing, I think we get into that struggle of power, right? Money and power. And and where does that play in with cancel culture?
5: I do want to kind of wrap up. I, I'll only weigh in just briefly on the statues business and our history is just to say, I think what alarms me again is to sort of see a lack of empathy for the past and compassion. And, and the fact is that I am not the same person I was 20 years ago, 10 years ago, and humanity as a as a as a unit is not the same in the same place. Obviously, that they were 10, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, and to have a sort of historical sympathy or empathy for people who lived back then, I can't help but think when I see people tearing down statues of somebody and wondering, you probably would have been right there with them, and what you're protesting now, you would have probably supported them. I mean, what makes you think that back then you would have had this enlightened state when no one else seemed to? So a sort of sympathy to that, but at the same time a sensitivity to what are these symbols? What are these statues? How do they affect others? The statue of Epps at FSU, for example, I saw that statue for years. I never thought anything of it. I mean, to me, it was like, oh, this guy founded the university or something else. Well, that's what I saw. It. Others saw it totally differently. Conversation. I think again, we have to look at a sensitivity educate i think as pastor joe says and also like what what's the purpose of this art what is it memorializing is it memorializing everything that this human being did or is it memorializing a specific thing and also weighing in like how does how is this affecting people what is this saying so having i think having to try to balance that would be appropriate that's what i'll close with on that is trying again this empathy sort of a sympathy but at the same time conscious of 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 what people experience today you know i when i see a confederate flag i do not have the same reaction guaranteed that pastor joe does and it means something completely different to me but i and and there was a time in my life i'll admit that i just thought well why are people so upset about this and then i put i tried to put myself in the shoes of an african-american as best as i could to imagine that i knew that in my history my, my my family was enslaved and that this is how people viewed me Um, is inferior and so on and that that in some way this flag is is a symbol of that government and that and that group and that time that would be very difficult to see above government buildings in this in the country or the city or the state that I live in so in it open but again that the way I arrived at that conclusion was by trying to be empathetic and ignoring what I kind of so well here's what I think this flag means or whatever you know and trying to put myself in the shoes of others and imagine what they're experiencing so I think I want to close with that And thank everybody and encourage everybody to be more empathetic and to be more compassionate and to see each other as valuable and something worth. I am going to thank Jack Denton for joining us. Wish you the best. And uh, Rabbi Jack, great to see you again. Really good. Trinity and Pastor Joe, thank you. And thank you all for joining us at home. And we'll see you uh, the next time. Take care.
4: Hello again. It's Vanessa, your podcast host. I hope you enjoyed this very important program on cancel culture. And did anybody notice how Jack Denton mentioned that common phrase that we reference often, but we disobey with every program about how you're not supposed to talk about politics and religion in polite company? Thanks, Jack. That made me smile. We offer our sincerest thanks to all of today's panelists for sharing their thoughts with us, even And especially when they know not everyone will agree with them. And because this episode is about cancel culture, I want to say just a little about that. I've been podcasting for about a year and a half now, started with my own show called Let's Get Local Tallahassee. And cancel culture is something I never considered before I got started. But now I think about it a lot. I try my best not to let the fear of cancel culture keep me from talking honestly and authentically about important issues. But at the same time, I am a flawed human who is growing and learning, hopefully every day. What I say today may not represent how I feel next year, but once I put it out there in public form, like on a podcast, it's there and it could follow me around forever. So what happens if we continue down this cancel culture path? Will we lose the dialogue? Will we miss opportunities to learn from each other and to counter opinions when necessary, which doesn't mean those opinions go away. They just go underground and we get further apart. And so I'm especially thankful to today's guests for having the courage to share their feelings in such a public and permanent way when they know full well the consequences that some face for doing the same. All right, before we close out, I'd like to say just one more thing about cancel culture. This is something that I've been reading about a lot lately. And I have to say that my opinion has shifted as I've learned about the damage that cancel culture can do to our emotional well-being. There's research that shows a link to rises in anxiety, depression and suicide especially among young adults. And it makes sense when you think about the growth and exploration that we should allow for in those years. But now with the ability for anyone to quickly and easily publicly shame another, and also with the trend toward immediate judgment without asking questions or having dialogue, you can see how people can become terrified to explore their thoughts especially unpopular thoughts, even with friends or classmates. I've been talking about this a lot lately with people in my circles. And it's been quite fascinating to realize that on this issue, I often find myself countering the opinions of people in my own political party. While I tend to agree with my husband's views on this, Have I mentioned that we're a house divided, often disagreeing on big issues? So this reminds me of our brilliant panelists from the ReUnited States program, who talked about how most of us are more complex than the line that the two-party system tries to place us on. I loved that ReUnited States program so much. And in case you missed it, it's episodes 26 and 27 of Village Squarecast. And it's named after an incredible documentary also called The Reunited States, which is out now on Amazon, YouTube, iTunes, and other streaming platforms. All right, next up in our current season called A Citizen's Guide to Saving America is Let Friendship Redeem the Republic, where we get to meet pairs of friends who not only manage their disagreements, they embrace them. Also coming up soon is another timely God Squad program called It's a Conspiracy, which is about the rise of conspiracy thinking in our civic discussion. To hear these programs on Village Squarecast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or on our website at villagesquare.us squarecast. And if you'd like to participate in our live Zoom events, you can find all the details at villagesquare.us. That's also where you can sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date with everything happening at the Village Square. We'd be so grateful if you give us a review in Apple Podcasts. We appreciate you listening to Cancel Culture with the God Squad. Until next time, we challenge you to reach out with an open heart and mind to someone who doesn't look or think like you. It changes everything. We'll talk to you soon, and thank you so much for listening to Village Square Cast.